I'm Arash Madani from Sportsnet, and you are listening to the Red, White, and Blue Jays pod. Swing and a drive! Welcome to Red, White, and Blue Jays, the podcast home of Blue Jays Fans UK, a group connecting Blue Jays fans around the UK and beyond and telling their stories. And now, here's the host of Red, White, and Blue Jays, Steve Hunter. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Red, White, and Blue Jays. And I'm really thrilled to introduce today's guest. We have Arash Madani from Sportsnet. Arash, so cool to be able to chat with you. Thank you so much for spending a bit of time with us. Yeah, thanks for the invite, Steve. It's good to be out with you. Yeah, no, absolute pleasure. Uh, just for those who are listening to the audio version of this, uh, just explain or your view at the moment, Arash, and where you're sitting. I, I was actually just showing you, Steve, off here. Over my right shoulder is the famous Sitco sign um, in Boston. And over my left shoulder, you can actually see the green monster, an old pile of green over at Fenway <laughs> Park. We're filming this on the 24th of August. So the Blue Jays. Just came off a win with Ross Stripling doing Ross Stripling kind of things last night. Mm. Yeah, it's great. Great little win uh, again. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into a little bit of that as we uh, get through our time together. Um, but I'm really interested just to hear about you, the Arash Madani story, how <laughs> you came to do what you're doing. Um, so perhaps, uh, actually, before we do that, have you done anything into the UK before? Is this your first dip into pods in in this part of the world i believe so i've been over there for work and pleasure a couple of times on the work scene i did london 2012 as part of the canadian television stuff and then when i think it was 2014 eugenie bouchard got to the finals of wimbledon and milos ramage got to the semis of wimbledon that year was over to cover uh the championships but it's been it's been a hot minute since yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we'd love to have you back over. And uh, if the Jays ever come and do one of the uh, MLB International Series games, uh, I, I'm sure you'll be f- front of the queue to try and get a ticket. Yeah, absolutely. I'd yeah. love to cover that, especially if Vlad Guerrero takes the uh, the traveling show on the other side of the pond. Totally. Yeah, no. I, um, well, hopefully, hopefully it will happen. Perhaps we'll chat about that towards the end as well uh, in terms of the likelihood of the Jays coming. Obviously, you've got the Cubs and the Cardinals that have just been announced for next year, uh, which was the cancelled game from 2020. Uh, of course, the year before that, we had the Yankees and the Red Sox over, and that was, I think, very well received. And certainly the Jays, in terms of fan base, were very well represented at those two games. Uh, so there's a lot of us here in the UK that would love to Love to see the Jays come come this side of the water, uh, but uh, those are dreams further down the road. Let's um, let's dial back then into to your story. So, just give me a bit of flavour. Uh, where did you grow up? What was your childhood like in terms of your heartbeat towards doing what you're doing now? Was that something that you dreamt of as a as a young lad? Yeah, I would say, Steve, it was probably around eighth or ninth grade that uh, I realized I wasn't going to be playing in the NBA or uh, joining the ATP tour. So I was thinking to myself, well, what can I do to be involved in sports? And I was a huge Lakers fan growing up. And I always remember Dick Stockton being courtside, getting to call all these amazing uh, Laker playoff games and championship games. And I said to myself, well, that seems pretty cool. And uh it's been since a young age that this is what I've wanted to do. And I'm very lucky and grateful that, that my career has, uh, has morphed into this and where my hobby and my profession almost overlap. So this has kind of been on the radar for quite some time. And, uh, from a small town in Truro, Nova Scotia, and to go from there to a couple of blocks, a couple of blocks from Fenway park. Um, it still is amazing some days when I think about it. Yeah, I was chatting to Keegan Matheson uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and so he's from. He grew up down the street. I was going to say, you guys must have been almost next door neighbors, surely. Well, I'm from Colchester County, Nova Scotia, and he's from Pictou County, Nova Scotia. And Steve, what connects the two counties is Mount Tom, which my mom uh, she had to commute, and in the winters it is a treacherous, icy 
poor visibility highway, um, but uh, it's it's been great. The last few seasons, Kiggs and I have been uh, running mates on the road. And we've had a ton of fun. Yeah, as obviously the Maritimes are good for producing sports reporters. Uh, it, it's obviously a hot <laughs> hot of sport over in that part of the world. It's, it's funny because I always think uh, I know Toronto is in the Eastern Coast time zone. And of course, from our perspective, we just talk about the East Coast. Uh, east right. coast east coast east coast you know east coast teams you know east coast division and so on uh, but of course from your perspective toronto is not even close to being east is it you know because home is east yeah we're in a different time zone we're in the atlantic time zone yeah. and if you go to newfoundland it's another half hour also and I'll, I'll tell you this steve um i'm very biased of course but i would maintain and that from victoria day to labor day or as I tell Americans, from Memorial Day until Labor Day, there may not be a better place in North America to go visit than uh, than Atlanta, Canada. So I, I stand by that, and uh, I highly recommend it to anybody. There you are. There's there's a new career choice for you as tourist guide. There you uh, go to, to the Maritimes. So uh, yeah, it's not part of um, Canada that I've been to. Um, I think I told you a little bit of a hop. Paul Vancouver experience just recently because of COVID, um, where I got locked up in a hotel room for 10 days. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't see a lot of the city, unfortunately. Um, but that was my first time out, out to the West Coast, been to Toronto several times, but uh, sure. n- not done the maritime. So maybe that's something we should uh, we should definitely put on our radar. So did you then, from then growing up, did you study journalism in Toronto? Was that, how, how did you get from from there to where you are now? Uh, so my first gig uh, was a summer intern with the Truro Daily News, a daily newspaper in my hometown that is now a weekly, and uh, was involved in local community cable television. I went to school at Bishop's University in Quebec, about 90 minutes from Montreal. Um, I was involved with the school paper, broadcast our football and basketball games on campus radio and helped out with the athletic department and then moved to Montreal out of school, got involved with McGill and their athletic department and sports radio in Montreal. And I would commute to and from Ottawa doing uh, Carleton and University of Ottawa football and basketball broadcasts on Rogers Community Cable and just bounced around, Steve, from, <laughs> as that old WKRP show would say, town to town, up and down the dial. I, yeah. I've lived and worked in Montreal, Ottawa, Calgary, Winnipeg, and started with Sportsnet in Toronto in 2009. So it has been uh, it's been a few stops on tour. Yeah, and it's it's been a lot of uh, different opportunities. Worked for a couple of different pro football teams on Winnipeg, and um, and really Sportsnet since uh, it's it's been a good shift now. Uh, seen a lot, been a lot of places, done a lot of things, and yeah. uh, it's been a heck of a run. That's amazing. Uh, And to to see, I guess, a variety of sports through that period of time. Do you have a do you have a favorite? I I know you cover the tennis a lot for Sportsnet. Are there others that you would, you know, dip back into that you're particularly keen on? I'll tell you this. There there are a few moments that kind of stand alone. Uh, One was London walking towards Olympic Stadium to cover my first ever Olympic opening ceremony. Yes. And I remember telling uh, cameraman Mario Fontana, who's become a good friend, I said, Mario, I wish you could just bottle this feeling right here. Yeah. Um, so that was a big one. Um, I was, uh, shoot, here to the end of the table away from a little further. Malcolm Butler intercepting the ball in the end zone of the Super Bowl, except <laughs> I didn't see it happening because <laughs> I we were so close. I was watching Marshawn Lynch. And then the whole stadium exploded, and I was so confused because Marshawn didn't get the ball, and then I'm like, oh, my God, they threw it. Wow. But uh, the one event, game, scene, whatever you want to call it, that I'll never, ever forget, and it's been over, well, it'll be 10 years this October, is Canada went down to San Pedro Sula, Honduras for a World Cup soccer qualifier. And at the time, I, I don't know if it still is, it was the murder capital of the world. Yeah. And... All we needed was a draw or maybe even a win to get to the final round of World Cup qualifying. We just, it was a nil-nil draw three days before, four days before. And Canada lost eight to one. And the scene that day, the day before, everything was, um, 
was beyond belief. So those are a few that it's funny. Like I don't even talk about being in Oakland when the Raptors won it all. Wow. Uh, there, there are specific moments um, that stand out in your life um, sure. because of specific snapshots. And, uh, and those are among, those are yeah. among some of them. I, I think that's what the beauty of sport, isn't it? it you know, it captures a moment, uh, but you don't ever stand still with it either. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a moment in time and, you know, particularly, I guess, in Jay's more recent history, you know, often we talk back about the bat flip game and stuff and everybody remembers where they were, what they were doing, how they were watching that particular game. Uh, Here's the but- thing, Steve. Here's the thing. There are 200,000 Torontonians who say they were at the bat flip game <laughs> and they all say they saw the bat flip and they're all liars. Yeah, totally. Nobody, nobody saw the bat flip because everyone's yeah. watching the ball fly over the fence. Yeah. So nobody saw the bad flip until like replay number two. Sure. Um, but man, the ballpark. Were you, were you that there night, that night? I was. Uh, we were in the football press box, which is now the main press box. Um, I was sitting with some colleagues, and it's funny. Well, it's not funny, but 15, 20 minutes before the Bautista home run, I got a text from a buddy of mine whose wife is a cop and the text said the riot police are headed to the dome. Wow. I mean, it ended up being a fantastic, memorable night. It had the potential, if not for that swing, to be a very, very ugly night Mm. in the city. Mm. There was a hostility. There was a tension. There was a lot of alcohol. We were four years removed from the Vancouver riots. Um, people were angry and pissed, mm. and it all went away with that uh, with that home run from Jose. No harm, no foul. Yeah, I mean, I obviously watching it over, from over here in the middle of the night. It was about two thirty a.m. or something, I think, when when he knocked it out. And, and I just, I mean, just watching in on the screen and listening to uh, you know Buck and the team commentate oh no it wasn't buck was it because it was postseason but you know the commentary team no, i think it was kenny albert and yes um, harold reynolds remember harold That's, reynolds yeah I do. enemy number one yeah for... absolutely yeah no totally forgotten that um and just uh yes that's right because he was uh he was rather well not over complimentary about the canadians i think would be you know a bit of an we just said they don't know anything about baseball yeah that's just, right they're just hockey fans right <laughs> exactly but I remember, you know, just watching, obviously, what happened with Russell Martin and and just how the seventh inning un- unfolded and uh, having this sort of gut-wrenching, we can't lose on that moment. And then the craziness of all the cannon throwing and, as you say, just everything feeling like it was getting a little bit out of hand. I mean, that mm-hmm. is that is that unusual? It's unusual, I would think, generally in baseball for that atmosphere because i've always you know the the reason i fell in love with the game when i first came over in 94 uh was you know this family friendly you know just relaxed atmosphere watching a game i mean that that whole cauldron of what happened in that game was just mad i mean it's like watching premier league football it just it doesn't happen in baseball surely (laughs) and it's funny you say 94 because i mean it's a couple of things well, a few things. One, they hadn't been to the postseason in 22 years. Sure. So a generation had no idea what October baseball was. And yes, baseball is a congenial, social, relaxed deal. From February until September 10th, if your team's in the hunt, if they're in a wild card race, a playoff race, a pennant race, anything like that and then then things start to matter and things start to ramp up but there is nothing timid about postseason there is nothing relaxed about october mm-hmm. and one of the great things that i get to do is uh, you know hazel does the for the most part hazel does the al playoffs and i do the nl playoffs most years and we get to go from the wild card to the ds the cs and we meet up at the world series and in those cities and in those ballparks and in those stadiums, every single pitch matters. Mm. The tension in those stadiums is wild. 
and the buildup begins at like two in the afternoon, three in the afternoon, and all the bars and restaurants around the, the whole city's wearing the team's colors. Mm. October is an animal unlike any anything else. You can sit and do your crossword in, in July, yeah. and nobody will look at you funny. In October, you are not sitting for nine innings, and it's pre- it's pretty dope. Yeah. Do, do you think is baseball all about getting to the postseason now? So as much as the regular season is fun to watch and it's enjoyable and all those things, is MLB, is it so much about just that final that final month now? I I would tell you this, Steve. I actually think September-based, meaningful September baseball, being in these races, scoreboard watching, looking at the standings every day, I think that's as electric as October. Mm. October, I, th- I think September as a fan is more enjoyable because October, if you're a fan, you're probably more stressed out uh, because everything matters so much more. Whereas in September, there's a little bit of, you know, wiggle room and benefit of the doubt and all those things. So I think if your team's in the hunt around September 15th, the last two weeks of the regular season or this year, three weeks of the regular season are just awesome. Yeah. And, and last year, obviously September was a, a, a really good month after a really poor month for the Jays. And, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, we see it regularly here in, in Premier League football or football right across all the divisions in terms of the re- relegation and promotion battles that go on and the, the playoffs and all that stuff. So it's, it's all regular thing for us where it doesn't quite happen in the same way for baseball, but except last year, there were so many teams involved uh, and going down to that last game. What was that atmosphere like sort of leading into that final game of the season where it could literally go anyway? Yeah, I think it felt like the season was over. And then the last weekend of August, going into Labor Day, out of nowhere, they just started mashing against Oakland. And then they went to New York and swept the Yankees. And you're saying to yourself, oh, man, it's it's on again. And there was a buildup. There's no question. They were the hottest team in, in the month of September. And then it's funny, you know, like you think back to – Joel Pyomps and Tyler Chatwood and Jeremy Beasley. And you said to yourself, well, I hope they learn their lesson that every game matters. Yeah. And um, I don't know what's going to happen. I think I, I can't see how they don't get in, especially with the expanded playoffs. Mm. But I found this season, Steve, that from about mid June to mid July, it would have been worth it to overspend, to go upgrade the pitching staff. And they didn't. Yeah. And I was just thinking to myself over, and okay, the prices aren't set, whatever. I don't care. Did you not learn your lesson from last year, especially after Wii gets hurt this year and, and the injuries you're having and the Kikuchi debacle? Um, so those are, those are among the things that I, I kind of remember from last year. And I just mm. thought that it would be uh, – it would have been handled quicker than it was this year. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think a lot of people would say that if they had got in, they had a really good chance. I, I think, you know, hindsight's if hands and butts were candies and nuts, what a Merry Christmas it would be. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, for poor old Marcus Simeon, he, he seemed to get a bit of flack for that one error that everybody seems to remember that cost us a, a, a moment. Which is but nonsense. I tell you, I know it's crazy because there were so many games that, you know, they could have won, but they didn't. But that's the one that seems that everybody remembers. And, you know, he did take a bit of, um, bit of flight. Well, what it. was the, uh, there was the Friday game against the Tigers. Who was the center fielder? Palacios, Josh Palacios misplayed a ball. That yeah. cost them a game. Nobody seems to talk about that. Nobody seems to talk about the, the bullpen and all those names. I just I brought know. up. And exactly. Awesome. 20 games yeah um yeah crazy stuff crazy stuff so just um in terms of this year then uh what 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 was your you know your take on it in terms of the trade deadline do do we feel that they've done enough did they do enough i mean because i think most people felt it wasn't a very sexy trade line for the jays um you know they did a bit but it wasn't It wasn't spectacular at all. 
no at all so does that give an indication that you know the front office are thinking actually it may not be this year and therefore we're still building towards perhaps next season or are they just we'll do a little bit and well if it comes off it comes off it is where, where do you i don't know is? I don't know. I, I mean, I look at this this roster right now, and I look at okay, how many more years of Vlad and Bo, and I guess Kirk, are you going to have paying this money? You're paying Lourdes Gurriel very little in terms of you know what market value would be. Yeah, you're only going to have Teoscar, likely for this year and next, and then what? Uh, you know, at some point, Manoa's is going to get paid. Uh, I don't know, Steve. I, uh, they talk about World Series, but then the trade deadline rolls around. You're saying to yourself, all right, here's your opportunity. And uh, to me, when you look at where, certain, where you are in certain years, it's not about winning every trade. It's mm-hmm. about understanding when you can and should go for it. Yeah. Who's the team in the American League that really scares you right now? Well, I it was, don't. No, it was the Yankees, exists. wasn't it? I think, but uh, that's definitely changed. Was, yeah, past tense, yeah. Um, and and nobody wants to hear about 2015, 2016. But the reason why 2015 also worked is because it was a downtime in the division. And right now, the Red Sox are hopeless. You know, the Rays are winning some games right now, but they don't really feel like a threat. Mm. And while Baltimore is a hot team right now, they don't scare you, and the Yankees are beatable. So you may not win the division. I Look, I think the Astros are legit. Um, but yeah. outside of Houston, to me, this was the time that you do it. And if I look at, and I know Frankie Montez has had a, has a tough start there, but look at the teams, look at what New York did, look at what Seattle did, look at even what Minnesota did. Mm-hmm. And I just thought there was a real opportunity to really get better and go for it and not be thinking about each trade in its own individual window and vacuum, rather seeing the landscape of what's happening here to go for it. And... Uh, you know, you're about to do all these renos to the ballpark and, you, you know, you want to get some excitement. What a way to do it. And yeah. um, so I thought that was an opportunity missed. Yeah. Uh, and and that seems to be reflected certainly in the fan base, uh, you know, from what I could tell from over here that, that generally most people felt that they missed an opportunity. Do the players, I mean, how much would the players be listening in to a trade deadline? Um a from their own perspective of could this mean I'm going somewhere, but also in terms of what what the front offers are bringing in, to, to, is that something they would be well they're obviously mindful of it, but uh, you know actively listening in for? I think they're look they're human, but they're also fans. They're you know they they like the goss. They want to know what's going on. It's like any kind of workplace. How does this affect me? How does this affect we? What are we going out there to do? Um, I, I think they were very much in tune with what was happening. I think a lot of them were were scrolling through their phones the day before, the day of, et cetera, to know what you know what was going to happen uh, to them. I think they're very much aware of of what's shaking, especially with the deadline having come three weeks after the managerial change. Sure. And and that did that surprise you when Charlie went? It didn't surprise me. Um, I felt that he got a raw the you know short end of the stick raw deal whatever you want to call it. Um, I think that what Charlie Montoyo did as a leader of an organization in 2020 and 2021 goes down as one of the more remarkable feats in professional sports. They had three different cities called home with families and life and responsibility. And he kept that all together. Yeah. And the challenge that is, you know, the Raptors were just in Tampa and their season was a disaster and a write-off and people just said, oh, well, they were in Tampa. That's okay. Look at what Charlie did 
in 2021, coming up one game short, and he wasn't in charge of the personnel for the bullpen. Mm. Um, that, and, and it felt like his time was up uh, by the end. I got the sense, Steve, there was a Chicago-Milwaukee trip, I want to say in June, maybe. Um, and we were at, we were in the south side of Chicago, and something just felt off. Mm. And then they got hot for a little bit and uh and then they weren't so saw it coming i just thought he got a little bit of a raw deal in the end but it was it is what it is it was the move it was the move that was made and they made it knowing that uh lousy kc was coming to town with 10 unvaccinated players yeah St. Louis was coming to town with two NL MVP candidates unvaccinated. Yaddy Molina hurt, Jack Flaherty hurt, and they came here to Fenway Park, put up 28, 29 runs, whatever it was. Yeah. In the last two games of the series, Devers and Martinez were out. So. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that initial yeah burst when John Schneider came in, and, and a lot of people commenting in terms of uh, the slightly more aggressive approach the Jays were taking under his his leadership and it, it did feel like oh there, there feels like a material change that has happened just because of the change of of manager and yet then the Jays went on this real dip in form and it just everything seemed to be falling apart what what's what's changed now in these last few games because we suddenly that you know even a week's difference talking to, to friends and, and stuff this is like oh my goodness the Jays could miss out on the postseason and suddenly it feels like oh they're back in it again what what's the tangible difference that is it just that they're taking a different approach at the plate is it that the starting pitching is picked up again where can you see those sort of clear and obvious uh changes wild. made? so here we are wednesday august 24th if we were having this conversation last wednesday august 17th i'm saying to you steve i don't know they're one and six in their last seven uh, Stripling's coming off the injured list. I don't know what you're going to get from him because who knows with hips and they've scored what nine runs in their last five games. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. But now, now... one week, one week later, uh, Stripling has a perfect game going into the seventh. Barrios has a really strong start. Gosman does Gosman things. Mitch White begs, borrows, and steals his way through the Yankees lineup. And then Manoa's challenging Garrett Cole across the Audi sign, and then Stripling does Stripling things again. And at a time where they put up eight runs in the third inning with two outs, at a time where the bats start heating up, what we're really talking about is starting pitching. When, when, you, get, when you get quality performances from your rotation the way they have, that that changes the whole dynamic. And I agree with you. They're, the approaches at the plate have been so much more patient. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing Teoscar really talked about. He said, you know, I'm going when I'm patient, uh, when I'm not swinging the junk, when I'm sticking to my approach up the middle. And that that's that's been a big part of it. But really, fundamentally, it starts and ends with starting pitching. And then the offense has been a compliment. They're, they're allowing the game to come to them instead of forcing the issue or pressing or anything like that. Yeah. I think I think for me, the unsung hero of the Jays this year has been Ross Stripling. I think I think he's been I agree. S- superb. And I think he doesn't get the credit that's due to him. I think he's he's plugged gaps and he's perform outperformed probably anybody's expectations of him. Uh I've really liked watching him play this year. I talked to Pete Walker just yesterday, Steve, and he called uh, he called Ross their MVP, their most valuable pitcher. Yeah. And you think about a season where Gosman's been Gosman and Manoa has become this incredible force. Uh, where would they be without Ross Stripling is is a scary thought if you're a Blue Jay fan. And yep. I don't think it's hyperbole. Uh, here, let me bring you the uh, I'll bring you the direct quote. This is from Walker. Quote, yeah, he's been awesome. 
I think if you took a poll in the clubhouse, you know the most valuable pitcher right now, kind of the unsung hero, would be Ross Stripling. He's answered the bell every time. He's given us a shot in the arm when we needed it. He's been really consistent this year. Change in speeds. It's the best I've seen him pitch. Yeah, there you Oof. go. And then he goes out and pitches six innings later that night and, and lives up to it. Yeah, that's br- brilliant to see. Alec Manoa, uh, again, really great season. A uh, little bit concerning, obviously, his ERA is sort of creeping up as the season goes through. Uh, I think we probably have massive expectations. I mean, he's a, a, a brute of a man. But in reality, first real big full season, I guess, in terms of pitching, probably pitched more than I think he's done in certainly minor league play as well. Is that just pure fatigue that is affecting those numbers? I think it's I think it's a big part of it. Um, I had his uh, I had his let me see if we find see I had his all of his innings pitched in his career, even going back to college. And you know how significant uh, how significant it was, mm. but I think fatigue's a big part of it. And one thing that Gosman has talked to him about is uh, make sure that you're taking some breaks between starts. Like we need you fresh for uh, we need you fresh. For for October and the end of September. And we, we can't have you dragging at that point, especially when you're up to inning 220 or whatever that is. So that, that's a big part of it. He has never pitched even close. I can't seem to find the numbers. Um, he has not even come close to pitching this many innings ever in his career at any stretch. Yeah, And so yeah. he's taking more time off between starts. He's throwing less between starts. He's trying to preserve the body and all those things. Mm. And he's having issues with his sinker. Um, last five, six starts now, the sinker hasn't quite been there. So this is what happens. You yeah. know, it's, it's a long season. You've never gone through it. It's part of it. And the only way you're going to learn is by living it and doing it. And that's what he's doing. Yeah. His little tater tate with Mr. Judge the other night. Just one of those baseball things, no sort of purposeful mindset behind any of that. So, like when I talked about him missing him, the, the sinker's been off. Yeah, that was part of it. Yeah, he came close earlier in the game to hitting him, and then that's what Judge said to him was twice. And Manoa said, Look, my bad, I'm not trying to hit you. You know, it's 2 1 in the fifth inning, and they actually were good about it and they were cool. And then when <laughs> when his highness you know <laughs> fake tough guy tries to come over come over onto the field it was even judge saying hey man just, just back off yeah we're good Vlad saying back off we're good the line of all lines is from manoa yeah if here is something to say next time come cross the audi line i mean that, that the audi logo that's that's fantastic yeah yeah uh, he had that at that, the back of his mind didn't he but yeah absolutely brilliant stuff from those guys uh, you say Kikuchu, what are they going to do there? I mean, he's struggled even coming out of the pen. Well, because uh, they're not going to get rid of him, are they? Is it is it is it an off is it an off season? You know, we have to take this man apart and put him back together again. To here's what I think. When you are coming off, again, we're filming, we're doing this on the 24th of August. Last night, Reese McGuire outpitched Yusei Kikuchi. Mm. Let me repeat that. Say mm. it out loud. Last night, Reese McGuire outpitched Yusei Kikuchi. So let's be real here. Six weeks to go in the season. If they're going to get into October, if they're going to be in the playoffs, um, Yusei Kikuchi. Kikuchi can be nowhere near the playoff roster. Yusei Kikuchi probably has to have pitched, past tense, his last game with the Blue Jays this season. Send him to Buffalo, put him on some fake IL, do whatever you want to do with him. It can't continue. Mm. But I would not, there's no need to close the book 
on him completely. I would close the chapter on 2022 and then have him go talk to whatever sports psychologists, plural, he needs, whatever pitching coaches, plural, he needs, and bring him to spring training next year with a fresh start and say, okay, past is in the past. Let's start over. Let's do this again. Mm. They were able to fix Ross Stripling, and Stripling was nowhere near as dire as the Kikuchi situation is now. But, you know, you bring him to spring, you may even give him enough of a uh, enough leash to get through maybe April of next year and then decide what you're going to do. Because the economics of the situation warrant that he has to get another look and another opportunity. So it just can't happen now. Not in the last week of August, not in a September playoff race, and certainly not if you consider yourself something in the postseason. To me, Steve, I, I, I was really, I thought they got some real quality at a Matt Gage in a long roll, in different kind of situations. To me, it's, I know there's been a lot of Trent Thornton up and down and whatnot. To me, now that Mays is back, why not add a second lefty, have Gage in the mix? He can be some different things for you. This starting pitching to do this every night is probably unsustainable. But so, too, is having Yusei Kikuchi around moving forward. Yeah. It's great to hear the Mazes coming back. Having dislocated my shoulder in my late teens and knowing how painful that is, I can't but not, cannot believe it. I know it's not his pitching arm, but I cannot believe he's back in two weeks. So it's just extraordinary. It, it's actually unbelievable. Yeah. Like, you you had to think his season was over. and Totally. Yeah, and so, as soon back, as I saw it, I thought, dislocation all the way it just right everything he was doing just reminded me of what happened to me and uh oh man uh, i really felt for him but yeah for him to come back so quickly i don't know what they've done to him but they've clearly glued him, him glued they him fisked him back together yeah. so um just thinking about injuries and stuff how critical is it that they keep george springer healthy yeah i mean he's the engine of that offense you know it's it's really wild Goes five for five at Yankee Stadium. You don't see him for a few days. Comes in, pinch hits, gets it done. Um, then the base is clearing triple again last night. I mean, they're just a different team, a different lineup, yeah. um, everything with him. I, I understand you want Alejandro Kirk's bat in there. I get that. Um, I get all the reasons why he can't be a full-time DH. I still kind of want him as the full-time DH because it's the best way of maintaining the bat in the lineup. And I know yeah. it makes no sense. I know, I know it, it can't happen. Can't you find a way to make it happen? Because uh, you just need that bat in there. Um, his defense is, is, is more than fine, but that's not why George Springer's here. Yeah, no, absolutely. In terms of the catching position then, uh, what what do you crystal ball wise? Where where do you put the three guys, you uh, Jansen, Kirk, and Moreno? In terms of what they're likely to do, I, presumably they. I mean, it's it's one of those, isn't it? You you get rid of a catcher and somebody then gets injured and you just you screw yourself. Uh, conversely, you don't do anything and you've got three guys who are all fighting for that position. How do you see that one unfolding? It's interesting, Steve, because. Here's what we don't know. Here's what we do know. Here's what we don't know. Um, let's go back to the let's go back to the very shortened off season, and all the talk was about Jose Ramirez. I spoke with a very highly placed Blue Jay source who told me that not only were they in conversations for Ramirez, but that they had exchanged names. Hmm. Which tells me that one of Alejandro Kirk, pre-All-Star run, or Gabriel Moreno had to have been on yeah. that list. And that's for an infielder a very good infielder, but an infielder nonetheless. If there is a scenario in which you can upgrade your 
starting pitching staff. And we know that this is a front office that is not really into rentals. So somebody who is going to be expiring uh, after 24 or after 25. And it means putting Gabriel Moreno into that deal. I do it. I do it and I don't look back. Because this, this is the window this year and next especially where this team has a real opportunity to do something with at least two of its marquee players, Manoa and Guerrero, making next to no money in real baseball dollars. And so, you, you know, you have, and I don't know what Moreno's value is today. I don't know what Kirk's value is today. Um, but if it means that they can be significant pieces to go get quality starting pitching, absolutely do it. Mm. How secure is Bo? He's not had the season, perhaps, that we were hoping that we'd have from him. A uh, yeah. number of errors. I, can't, I think it was 12 the last count I saw. It might, it might have changed since then. You've got a, a secure infield. Uh, you know, Vladdy should be gold glove-esque. Uh, if not this year, he's certainly heading that way. Uh, Espinal has seemed to have consolidated his position at second. Matt Chapman has been awesome at third. So out of that infield, it feels like Bo has been, and I, I love him. I think, you know, he's a great player, but it's just not been the season that we were hoping from him. Does does that put a question mark in terms of would they even trade him for, I, I, for a big piece? I think that, would they? I think the answer is yes. I actually wonder, and I don't know, I don't know, Steve, what the answer to this is. I wonder if his stock has taken a little bit of a tumble because of, I shouldn't say tumble, a dip because of what you uh, just outlined. I talked to Bo the other day in New York. He said, look, I've been feeling good for a couple of weeks now. He said, I, I haven't even looked at my numbers. He knew what it was, but he said, I feel close. I feel like I'm there. I feel good. And then had a couple of knocks on the Sunday in the Bronx and, and was good again uh, last night. It's a great question. They won't be, they won't sign both bone blood. No. So, you know, at what point do you get max return for him? And I don't know when the stock is going to be at its highest. And when it is at its highest, if it's during the season, you can't really probably you can't make the move then because then you're in some kind of race. So, you know, who and what would they put there? What are they going to do there? I think that's a that's an off-season conversation. But I don't think that I, I believe very much that Bo Bichette's name could end up in some conversations this off-season when it comes to trades. I just I, I don't know what his what his value is out on the market. And to me, again, it's about getting more starting pitching return. Yeah. That's the big, the big question, isn't it? Or the big, yeah. big need. Okay. You can never have enough, Steve. No, you can never have enough. Uh, totally. Well, their bullpen just everywhere, isn't it? Uh, you know, you're always wanting to, to improve what you've got. As we come to an end, Arash, I really, uh, as I say, really appreciate your time. What what's what's your feeling for postseason? Postseason definitely happening. You're, you're not concerned that that is. I know, and it's close, and you know, it's tight there at the moment. But are you are you are you are your glass half full? As Elizabeth would say to me, I I have a hard time seeing how this team won't get into the postseason. Um, just look at the strength of schedule coming up. A couple more with Boston right now. The Angels are dreadful. The Cubs are on the long road to nowhere. Pittsburgh's hopeless. They have Texas in the mix, too. Um, so, you know, through that lens, I think they have enough runway with two series left with Baltimore, a couple with the Rays um, to go from there. I think they get in. I, mm. I you know, Minnesota's the only team that, that could be kind of coming at them, nipping at their heels. But I, I, there's enough talent on this team, especially if they get the pitching. Um, mm. to get in 
what what they could do once they get in is a different story. And I mean, it's seven weeks away. So it's almost like, all right, well, let's revisit who's healthy, who's hot, what they're getting from their pitching. What does Manoa have left in the tank? How does the bullpen look? Um, and their opponents, the same thing. Is the wild card series going to be in Toronto? Because if it's against Seattle, we know who can't come north of the border. All sure. of that weighs into the equation too. So as we sit here on the 24th of August, I would be very, very surprised if the Blue Jays don't get, get in. Matter of fact, a buddy of mine, um, he and I have uh, made many an investment opportunity on sports wagering over the years. <laughs> uh, last Tuesday, amidst their skid, he said, I'm looking at Blue Jays don't make the playoffs at plus 390 and it's jumping out on me. And even if even when they were in that skid, I was telling them, man, I think they I still think they get in. And I, I kind of hold true to that. Yeah. Well, let's hope that happens. Just uh, as we tail off, uh, we started or just mentioned about um, the Jays potential of coming to the UK. I'm just interested in terms of your take of overseas fans, you know, particularly in terms of Jays world. How much would a ball club be aware of their international fan base and and and? you know, the importance of expanding the game into nations where it's not really a major sport? That's a great question that I don't, uh, I don't know the answer to. I've never really had that conversation um, with them. It's interesting because the Blue Jays are the only team that really has a fan base in both countries in North America, although there's Yankee fans everywhere and Dodger fans everywhere. Of course. Red Sox fans everywhere. But that's, that's an interesting one. Um, I'm I'm more wondering what Major League Baseball's appetite is in sending Toronto over there, especially if it's a Fox or an ESPN show, where the Canadian team, you know, yeah. the Canadian TV ratings don't count. I think why you, you never see the Jays on Sunday Night Baseball. Totally, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I, Except I, I, the the one thing I would say is, does Vlad have enough appeal? Change that, yeah. So well. Certainly, here in the UK, the Jays are one of the biggest supported teams um, in Major League Baseball, and I think great just to know. yeah, it's great. I mean, there are literally hundreds of us here, and I think you know there's obviously a close association between the UK and Canada. I think that's part of it. There's a lot of expats in both countries, uh, so a lot of cross Atlantic travel. Uh, so yeah, there are a lot here, and I, I just purely from a fan base perspective. Uh, they would be incredibly well supported if they they came so, to the UK. So let me ask you this, because Steve, I've come over to Wembley for I'm a huge Vikings guy. Uh, okay. I came over whatever it was seven eight years ago, maybe more for yeah. the Vikes and the Steelers when they played at Wembley. Yeah, and what think, amazed me, I think I was at that game. I think I went to there that. There you one. go. Yeah, yeah, I think that what was. What amazed like... me that night was there were probably ten thousand Viking fans and ten thousand Steeler fans and sixty thousand people. I called it the rainbow of NFL colors. Totally... People wearing different jerseys. So when they come over to play these games in the UK, are the colors represented of the participating teams, or is it a hodgepodge of MLB? It... Yeah. So they've only or... done the one game. They only did the twenty nineteen series. Between right. the the Yankees and the Red Sox, so that's the only dip we've had. Uh, clearly, there were a lot of Yankees and a lot of Red Sox fans. There were a lot of guys coming over from the states, uh, you know, amongst that fan support. I think you know, let's go for a you know week in London. We can go and watch some baseball. We can go and see the sights. So there's a lot of that going on. But I think purely in terms of the UK fan base, um, most people reflect that beyond the Yankees and the Red Sox, the Jays were the next most represented fan uh, amongst the crowd. So there were a lot of us there that, that day. Um, but yeah, it's a celebration of baseball here, you know, cause it, we can't see it very often live apart from traveling across to, to your part of the world. So the yeah. opportunity to see, you know, a meaningful game, uh, even if it's not your teams, we just enjoyed the, the, the joy of watching baseball and it was a it was a fantastic weekend, and they did an amazing job with the Olympic Stadium. So if you think what it looked like when you came across for the 2012 Olympics, and you think, well, how on earth do you fit a baseball diamond into an oval ballpark or, or right. oval stadium? But so there was a lot of foul territory just because of the the shape of the ground, 
they brought in some extra seats to try and reduce that down a little bit. And, mm-hmm. and on the whole, that worked quite well, but there's still a lot of foul, foul territory. Uh, I think in terms of, you know, it was crazy. Both games were crazy in terms of the number of runs, particularly the first game, uh, you know, 6-6 six, six right. after the, the bottom of the first. And, you know, both starting pitches are out the game and just balls were flying everywhere. And so, you know, people looking in for the first time, I think, oh, is baseball always like this? Is it always this high scoring? And actually, no, there's a lot of nil, 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 one. Uh, you know, just yes. that's so it felt different. And I don't know whether that was because the ballpark was playing differently or it was just one of those quirky things that happens in baseball. Um, but right. um, it was a great spectacle. People loved it. There was a lot of energy behind it uh, for the Cubs Cardinals who were due to come in 2020. Uh, of course, then that all came to a grinding halt like everything else. So there's definitely an appetite for the, the series next year. And I think a lot of people are just like, come. And Mark Shapiro, um, I saw Shai Davidi put something out a little while ago where Mark Shapiro had made this sort of passing reference that uh, you know, if they were going to be involved, then England would be a great place for Toronto to go to. So there seems to be a little bit of glimmer from the front yeah. office. So we shall see. But if we it happens, you've got to come again. And I will to... put. I will be the first to put my name forward. Yeah, brilliant. I I said to to Jeff and and to Kevin when I spoke to them, I said, guys, you come. I'll buy you a beer. Love to you know say hello and meet you in person and uh, make you feel Not welcome sure in the Blair. UK. Don't say beers with Blair. Make sure you say a beer, because if you start picking up his tab, then you're going to be in some trouble. <laughs> I'm sure he will uh, get that reported back to him at some point. But uh, there you go. yes, no, absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it'd be great to to have you guys across. And uh, I've said to 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 all the, the, the ones that I've uh, interviewed how much we enjoy here in the UK, what Sportsnet put out, both both in terms of radio broadcast and also the TV coverage. It, you know, it's great. And, you know, it's, it's a joy to be able to listen into what you're doing. So really grateful I, for that. I appreciate that very much. Arash, uh, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. What, what happens now for you in terms of tonight's game? Are you down into a rugby scrum in, you know, the locker rooms? Yes, yes. Going to head over there in about an hour, find out what's uh, what's going on. And Very then, good. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm interested to see if there's going to be some kind of resolution, if you will, with Kikuchi. Yeah. Um, I doubt we'll get the answer today. I think it's going to come Fairly at some be. point sooner than later. I think it's going to have to. Um, and Barrios goes again. And if he can repeat what he did at Yankee Stadium, that'll be good. Yeah, be I, th- good. I, th- I think for, I'd love him to do well because you know, again, probably one of the players that well, we know he's underperformed this year from what we're expecting. Uh, you know, if you hop right back to opening day and the disappointment of that performance, it just seems to have been a, an Achilles heel a little bit for him. And then you get moments where he's outstanding, and so let's hope we get another one of those uh, for tonight's game. Anyhow, well, sir, I will let you go. I appreciate, um, you know, we've kept you probably longer than you had time for, but uh, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you, Steve. Thanks, man. Take care, now. Cheers. The Red, White and Blue Jays podcast is a production of Blue Jays Fans UK. If you've got a Blue Jays story to share, let us know. Email us at bluejaysfansuk at gmail.com and follow along on Twitter and Instagram at Blue Jays Fans UK. I'm your announcer, Jim Langton. Thanks for listening.